Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. All right, everybody. Let's take a deep breath. All together now. <sighs> Welcome to Rico Bronia, where many Met fans are already panicking. Because we have, ladies and gentlemen, our very first injury scare of 2024. Kodai Senga is sore. Kodai Senga, he's a little bit sore. And when it's February 21st, because that's when he was throwing, and you feel a little sore, you're going to shut it down. You're not going to push through it. This isn't game five of the NLCS. This isn't a start in the middle of May. It's February 21st. So my reaction when I was told this news and the timing of it couldn't be worse because I was in the midst of talking about the Mets and how I have optimism coming into this season. And as I'm talking about that, here's an injury potential possibility with the eighths of this team in Kodai Senga. So I was a little taken back. And certainly your first reaction is to any piece of news that could be negative to have your brain go to the worst possible spot. So even though as of right now and as of this recording, it is just soreness, and that could mean absolutely nothing, our brains as Met fans take us to this very dark place. And I think what adds to that dark place is if we were going to make a list, and this actually seems like a pretty good podcast idea, if we were going to make a list of all 26 New York Mets that will end up on the opening day roster, and we were going to rank them in terms of importance, Kodai Senga may not be number one. He may not be number two, but he is definitely in the top five. He is very, very important to the Mets having any kind of success in 2024. He is, when you look at this rotation, even though he's only been in the major leagues for one year, is the guy you trust the most. He's the ace of the team. And not just the ace of the team, he's the only guy in the Met rotation who's a lock to be on the team next year. So I think we view him as someone that is not only essential to the Mets having success this season, 
but obviously a big part of the future. So when I say deep breath, calm down, I say it because there's no reason to panic yet. And that's the key word. In spring training, guys are going to have injuries. Sometimes they lead to nothing. And yeah, I admit, sometimes they lead to horrendous things. If this turns into an MRI in New York, I will be very, very nervous. If this turns into anything that's an actual injury, which for a starting pitcher derails you being ready for the start of the year, for being honest, like the timetable around starting pitchers is so different than if a position player has a nagging injury that pushes them back a few weeks, they can still be ready for opening day. But with a starting pitcher and the fact they're building themselves up towards the start of the season, if he has a derailment, that knocks him off for a couple of weeks, that probably means he's not ready for opening day. And that certainly changes the complexion of the rotation. And look, that can be catastrophic because all you've got to do is look back at last year. And certainly the timing of it was weird. We got it on opening day. But Justin Verlander being out for the first month of the season is one of the things that really helped turn 2023 into a nightmare. Jose Quintana getting hurt early in spring training was a big contributor to the nightmare season. And while the Mets have talked up their depth over the last couple of days and last couple of weeks, do they really have starting pitching depth? I mean, is Jose Budo and Tyler McGill and Joey Lucchese, is that the great starting pitching depth that would make us feel good if all of a sudden they're down an arm or down a second arm? So look, I don't minimize what Kodai Senga means for this team. He is really, really, really important. He is the ace of this team. I guess what I tell you in late February is have a deep breath. Soreness is not the end of the world. That's what I would say. Now, on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 means you're on the beach with the feet up. 10 means you're in Panic City. Hoff, what would be your number? Oh, with this specific injury or concern, it's like a 2. Oh, really? Look at you being optimistic. Yeah, it's not... It's it's the right dude. It's not even we we haven't even seen the first pitch of spring training yet. Like of like spring training game. Like it is what it is. They're going to sit. We we understand that. We're they're going to be a little bit extra cautious. And I will tell you this much: I'll guarantee we are not going to get a surprise on opening day that Kodai Senga is going to be out for a month. It's it's better. It's happening now. That's all I can tell you. Well, that that, that is a, definitely a positive outlook. If it's not, let's say it is an injury, but it's not a major injury, you'd rather get this stuff done in February. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And look, we're going to get scares. I mean, spring training is filled with injuries. It just is. You just have to hope it's not catastrophic. Unfortunately, last year, when you think back to the first month of the season, and I don't mean the month of the season, I mean the month of spring training. Like if our baseball season begins on February 20th, because that's when pitchers and catchers are reporting, and that's when injuries like occur. So you say from February 20th to March 25th, the New York Mets last year, our baseball team were hit with three major, major blows. Not one, not two, but three. Edwin Diaz, Jose Quintana, and then eventually Justin Verlander on opening day. Now, that really helped derail this season. Now, I'll give you one positive, because this is something I said I think within about a minute of hearing the news on WFN, and we did a lot of Mets on Wednesday. If you missed the show, I guess you could download the podcast or whatever if you're done with the Rico. Uh, but one of the things that jumped out at me was when Kyle Bradish went down with Baltimore. Kyle Bradish has a partially torn UCL. He had a really good year last year. I'd argue pound for pound he was the Orioles' best pitcher. In fact, 
I wouldn't have to argue it. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> he was the, he was their best pitcher last year. So when he goes down with a partially torn UCL, Scott Boris, as a representative of Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery, sees that and says, ooh, hello, maybe Baltimore gets a little bit more aggressive for a starting pitcher. If the Mets are going to miss Kodai Senga for any period of time, does it, I'm asking a question, and then, of course, I'll answer it, does it cause David Stearns and Steve Cohen to say, you know what, maybe it would be worth pursuing Jordan Montgomery? Because Jordan Montgomery has been a guy who this entire offseason, I've looked at, I think a lot of us have looked at, and said, he makes sense. Like, that fits. That fits short-term, but that also fits long-term. Now, I don't think, to answer my own question, David Stearns and Steve Cohen will be impacted by an injury to Kodai Sankin to then go out and make an aggressive move. But I think for us as Met fans, when we sit back and we look at this rotation and we think about this year and we think about next year, Jordan Montgomery continues to make sense. He continues to make sense for this rotation from a short-term perspective and from a long-term perspective. You don't have to give up any picks to sign him. Uh, he's still in the prime of his career. Like I think with Blake Snell, I know Snell's different because of the compensation they'd have to give up. I think we've seen the best of Blake Snell. Like, I think there's a really good chance we never see Blake Snell come close to what he accomplished last year or a few years earlier with Tampa Bay. I don't feel that way with Jordan Montgomery. So within about a minute of hearing about the soreness for Kodai Senga, my brain did immediately jump to, how about Jordan Montgomery? How about Jordan Montgomery? Now, one thing I stressed a lot on the fan, and I'll certainly bring it here because it's the way I feel, is that, and it's not just the sun of spring training, it's not just the idea of baseball season starting. There are years in which I go into it as a Met fan not feeling very good about the team. And then there are years in which I'm very optimistic about the team. The more I think about the roster, the more I think about the competition, and not just in the NL East, because the NL East is very good, but certainly around the National League, the more I look at what Texas accomplished last year and what Arizona accomplished last year, the more I feel better about the team we have. Now, does that mean I think we're going to win the World Series this year? No. But do I think this team with the talent on this roster should be in the mid-80s and competing for a playoff spot? Yeah. And that doesn't contradict that I don't love necessarily everything they did this offseason. I still feel like there's a move or two to be made. I would feel better if they added a real DH instead of relying on Mark Vientos and DJ Stewart and Harrison Bader being an everyday player. I'd feel better if they added an arm in Jordan Montgomery. But a part of the reason why I feel good about this team as we creep closer to the first spring training game is I'm a fan of reliability. I'm a fan of knowing what I have. And this Met lineup features Pete Alonzo, who I think is the most reliable slugger in baseball. Francisco Lindor, who since the moment he's gotten here, I'll tell you this, he plays every day. He's out there every day. And certainly the last two years, he's been incredibly productive. And if you buy the fact that he wasn't fully healthy last year, maybe he'll be even better this year. I can rely on Brandon Nimmo, who over the last two years has put up virtually the same numbers and should be better defensively this year moving to left. I believe it is likelier Jeff McNeil is good Jeff McNeil versus crappy Jeff McNeil. And I feel good about the young guys coming up, along with Alvarez, who built on a nice rookie season. 
Now, do they need Brett Beatty to prove he's a major leaguer? Absolutely. But if those things can go right, I think this team can score runs. And I know that sounds like a broken record because Hoff and I argued about this last year. I felt good about the lineup and was more concerned about the pitching. Now, ultimately, what derailed us last year was everything. My concern about the pitching turned out to be true, right? Uh, my naivete about the offense turned out to be wrong, right? So Pete was right when he was concerned about the offense. But I still think with Alvarez and with Beatty hopefully being what Josh Young was last year for Texas, a guy who struggled a year earlier and then with an everyday opportunity proved, hey, I'm a damn good major leaguer, that this can be a lineup that's a strength. And we've talked about the bullpen and how this bullpen can be good. I see the avenue to where this team can be in the mid-80s, where they can be maybe even the high 80s. And dare I say, if everything breaks right, which I certainly can't bake on, they could be beyond that and win 90-plus games. But that goes with a pitching staff that is average. Like, the pitching staff doesn't have to be great. It needs to be average. It needs to be decent. It needs to be competent. And if that happens with a strength in offense and a strength in bullpen, there's your formula to 85 wins. I think what's happened with a lot of Met fans, maybe some people listening right now, maybe some who aren't, is that because this offseason was a little underwhelming, and it was, I wanted more. And because last year was such a disappointing season, and it was, that's morphed our brain into thinking suck, suck, suck. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think this team sucks. I think this team has a better chance of being good than awful. And I think it's just easy nowadays because of the disappointment of the offseason and because of what happened last year to just have the knee-jerk reaction of they're not that good. I don't think this is a bad team. I'll be pissed off if they are because maybe my bar is higher than other Met fans and certainly higher than a lot of other people in this town. So a couple things. I, I 100% agree with you on everything you just said. I, I don't think – I think the the NL is very mediocre besides a few teams. I think there's a, it's a very top-heavy uh, league. Braves, Dodgers being two. Phillies you could throw in there. And then whoever's going to come out of, out of the Central – but besides that, it's it's all mediocre, and the Mets are mediocre, so that that fits their mo. That if they're good enough to stay mediocre, they're they're up there for a wild card spot. You just touched you touched on something a while ago. We were going through pitchers, and I forgot exactly who we were referring to, but we we're talking about the pitching staff and how you know a quality start is kind of like a an ERA of four point five because really. You give it up three runs for six innings. Well, right. if you look at – if Kodai Senga really is legitimately hurt, you have a few options still out there that are not Blake Snell, that are not Joe Montgomery, still go for a one-year deal, a guy like Hinjin Ryu, a guy like uh, Michael Lorenzen, or even Michael Clevenger, who Clevenger maybe uh, is more of a question mark. But the fact is these guys are still available – and you could bring him in for a one-year, well, maybe two-year option deal, you know, type of one thing. One of the guys you mentioned is out. I want to point that out. Hinjin Ryu signed a deal to go to Korea. So he is out as oh. an option. But the other guys you mentioned are options. Michael Lorenzen, Mike Clevenger, they're still out there. Um, I think that the Mets this upcoming season, and certainly we'll do a lot more projections as we get closer to the start of the year and predictions and stat predictions and what we need from certain guys. 
But I'll give you this broader kind of view on this team in 2024. And then we'll get to some of your voicemails and some of your emails. Their strength isn't going to be their starting pitching. And we have to realize that. Like, we have to realize that right off the top. And that's not a negative view of the team. It's just the reality. Like, over the last two years, I think when we looked at the Mets and thought about why they could be special, the identity of the team was what? The identity two years ago was DeGrom and Scherzer. Like, that was the identity. What made them unique, what made them special, is they had these two legitimate aces, these two big-time superstar pitchers at the top of the rotation. Now, that wasn't the main reason they won 101 games. They also had a dominant season from Edwin Diaz. They also had an offense that scored almost as many runs as Atlanta, was third in the National League. So they were good all the way around, but what made them unique was DeGrom and Scherzer. Last year, going into the season, why did we think they would be good? wasn't DeGrom and Scherzer, but it was Scherzer and Verlander, and it was the top of the rotation as the real strength. That's not who they are anymore. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Like the Mets identity, if they're going to be the playoff team, I hope they are. Their identity is not going to be because of their rotation. Like They're not making the playoffs because of their rotation. I'd be very surprised. They'd be making the rotation, uh, making the playoffs because of an offense that can score runs and maybe ends up top three in the National League. I assume Atlanta and L.A. will score more runs than them. Maybe Philly. So top four in the National League and a really good bullpen. And having the best closer in Major League Baseball in Edwin Diaz. But I think what we need to do, whether Sanga's healthy or not, is get it out of our head that this is going to be a top rotation. It's not a top rotation. And I don't necessarily think it has to be. I think it's got to be average. It's got to be decent. Now, one of the emails I got, and this was sent to the RicoB at gmail.com because of something I said on the fan, which I just said right here on Rico, which is I like the core of this team. Like I, I feel like the Met core is as reliable as almost any core. Doesn't mean it's the best best, but it means it plays. World Series. Like coming into last year, their core was what? Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, 
Nathaniel Lau, Adolis Garcia. Is that core coming into last year that much better than what the Mets have? If we're being honest, the answer is not really. Now, what took Texas over the top was Josh Young developed, was Evan Carter came up and developed, and they went out and made two really big moves at the trade deadline, one that paid off immensely, the other one not as much, in Max Scherzer and Jordan Montgomery. So I talked up the Met core as very, very reliable. Dan sent an email and decided to pick apart everything about this core. And I want to read it, and I'll give him a retort. Dan writes, faith in the core, LOL. <laughs> when you throw in the LOL, I know where you're going. Uh, Evan, I'm listening to you today on the fan, and I really just need to ask you what this core has done that you have so much faith in them as you keep reiterating all day. To me, their resume consists of 2019, Pete Nimmo McNeil, getting within a half game of the wild card in August only to piss down their legs and blow a chance at the playoffs. 2021, the start of the Lindor era, lead a division basically the entire year only to piss down their legs and fold late in the year when all the pressure came down on them. Oh, yeah. And Lindor and McNeil fist fighting, plus Lindor deciding to go to war with the fan base. 2022, lead a division for even longer than the year before, only to, you guessed it, piss down their leg in the year, let the Braves absolutely punk them to overtake first, and then get embarrassed at home against the Padres to get eliminated from the wild card round that they should have never been in in the first place. 2023, had some of the highest expectations in franchise history, were so bad they didn't even have a chance to blow anything this time, and made their owner sell off a team that had the highest payroll in history of the sport and were preseason World Series favorites. So I don't really know what your faith in them is based on, because the only thing I have faith in is the second they feel any pressure and have to step up, it ends in water emoji, down emoji, Leg emoji. <laughs> I think that is a very entertaining email by Dan. And I think the mistake you're making, because I do think you're making a mistake, is you're generalizing what happened at the end of 19, what happened in 21, what happened at the end of 2022, and the failure of 2023. And you're trying to simplify it by saying it's their fault. And I just don't think that's the right approach to it. I think you have to look at the players we're talking about and ask yourself, are they good baseball players? Are they reliable baseball players? And the answer is yes. Like Francisco Lindor did not have the greatest first season as a New York Met. And you cited the fight with Jeff McNeil, which has basically been confirmed that they got into a fight. I mean, we kind of knew it at the time. The fight with Jeff McNeil and the fact that he did thumbs down at the end of the year. And Lindor missed time that year. He had injuries and he had a bad year. Like there's no denying that 2021 was not a good year for Francisco Lindor. But first year with a team in New York, we kind of seen this before. But let's look at 2022 and let's look at 2023. He went out and played 161 games and he played 160 games. He drove in 107 runs in 2022. He hit 31 and 98 in 2023. 
He had an OPS right around 800, got top 10 MVP votes, played a gold glove caliber shortstop. And again, I hate to repeat the same thing, played every day. You don't want that on your team? Or you're just going to say, ah, piss down the leg into the 2022 season. That's not fair. That's not a fair judgment of him. Pete Alonzo. Pete Alonzo is the most reliable slugger in Major League Baseball. He may not be as good as a lot of sluggers in baseball. He may not be the all-around player Aaron Judge is. But guess what Pete Alonzo does that Aaron Judge can't do? Play every day. And go out and at 35 to 40 home runs every single year. Brandon Nimmo, to Brandon Nimmo's credit, Early in Brandon Nimmo's career, he wasn't reliable. Like, he proved he couldn't play every single day. And over the last two years, he has virtually put up the identical numbers. Go out and play 150 games, hit 274, have an OPS above 800. He improved his power last year. And go out and play decent defense in the outfield. I thought his defense in center field was better than 22 than it was 23. He's obviously going to be shifted to left. That's reliable. That's good. I think what you're doing, which is I think is a mistake, is that you're generalizing the failures and saying, ah, this core sucks. I'll bring up Texas again, because why not? They signed Corey Seager a few years ago. They signed Marcus Simeon. Adolis Garcia got developed. They brought in Nathaniel Lowe. That was their core. And they won 68 games in 2022. And then in 2023, that core that also featured some young position players that were developing won 90 games and won the World Series. The Met core is good. No one's saying it's the Dodgers. And by the way, the Dodger core, I mean, if we're being honest, they bought every single piece of that core. Good for them, by the way. But Mookie Betts bought, Freddie Freeman bought, Shohei Otani bought. But yeah, of course it's awesome. Like, I'm not saying it's better than the L.A. Dodgers. I'm not even saying it's better than the Atlanta Braves. The Braves are loaded. The Mets are not winning the NL East this year, barring something miraculous. But I think that to define that core in such a simple way, I don't think is fair to what they are. I just don't think it is. Joe Pignatori, right? Here's my perspective. Let's assume Marte and McNeil have bounced back years. The position players in 2024 that won 101 games are different as follows. Harrison Bader instead of Marcana, Brett Beatty instead of Eduardo Escobar, Francisco Alvarez instead of James McCann, whatever DH instead of J.D. Davis, Dom Smith, Darren Ruff, and Daniel Vogelback. Think about it. If starting pitching is just average, 86 to 88 wins is definitely attainable. Now, on the other side of things, that is also a simplistic way to look at it. Hey, core's the same. If Marte and McNeil bounce back to go along with the four guys I mentioned, uh, three guys I mentioned of Nimmo, Lindor, Alonzo, and now I got Bader instead of Canna, who probably not as good defensively, but uh, not as good offensively, but better defensively. Beatty instead of Escobar, assuming Beatty can take that step. Alvarez instead of McCann, and whoever the DH is as flawed as it feels, can it really be worse than J.D. Davis, Dom Smith, Darren Ruff, and Daniel Vogelback? Yeah, that's a top three offense in the National League. I get it. And I think the other factor, and this is going to be such a huge factor to this team having success, you could argue the most important factor. Drew Gilbert, Jet Williams, Luis Sanhalacuna. 
you have three position players that are top 100 prospects that are very, very close and could impact this lineup in 2024. What if they're Michael Harris from a few years ago? What if they're Josh Young from last year in Texas? What if they're Gunnar Henderson in Baltimore after a slow start? So I, I do think there's a lot of potential there. Now, one more email, and then we'll get to your voicemails. We appreciate you leaving voicemails. We have a voicemail number now. So if you want to email us at therecob at gmail.com, it works like you're hearing right now. I'll read them. It's fun. But we also have a voicemail, and that voicemail's number is, hold on, I'm pulling it up on my phone because I don't know it by heart. It's not like quite quite like the WFN number where you just know it. Well, I ha- I have it because I feel like it's not as difficult. Oh, really? It's, it's not? It's Tell a, me. It's a simplistic. So 725-222-8699. for, you know, whatever. 86 Mets, 99. We almost made it to the World Series. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. That's a good way to do it. <laughs> All right. Let me get to one more email, and then we'll get to your voicemails. I don't know what the voicemails are about, but that's what I love. You know, just throw it at us, and we'll answer it. Jordan Savin writes, potential recipe for disaster. I tend to echo you with your positivity regarding this team this year. I hope it's not me being fake optimistic, being a season ticket holder, and locked into tickets already, but I do have one concern. My biggest fear for this team is the starting pitching. Even before the Sanga injury news if Manaya or Severino do not pitch above expectations, the starting pitching has potential to be a disaster, which will lead to overuse of the bullpen. While we do not have a strong bullpen last year, the lack of distance, the lack of distance the starting pitchings were giving early in the season gassed the bullpen almost immediately. It felt like we were trying to constantly catch up with arms in the pen. Yes, Stearns definitely addressed the pen with a little more depth, but the lack of proven talent, I think, would ultimately get exposed. The recipe for success, Manaya or Severino pitching well above expectations with Quintana, Senga, Hauser doing what is expected. Two of three, Beatty, Alvarez, Vientos really taking off and being big contributors to the lineup. Uh, Lineup-wise, yes. I think Alvarez already has high expectations because – Last year, I know it was very streaky for him. He'd have like a month in which he looked like a rookie of the year, and then the next month he would struggle. But I think most of us look at Francisco Alvarez and say, well, we already know he's good defensively catching, so we already know he's a good backstop. We already know he's got an immense amount of power. Can he put it together and be that bat you put behind Pete? And I think that's the hope. Beatty and Vientos, who knows? Like, Vientos got uneven playing time last year. He's going to get a hell of a lot more this year. And Brett Beatty, this is a sink or swim season for him. With the pitching, I think that you need average from everybody, and that includes Manaya and Severino. Like, Luis Severino, let's have this expectation. I don't think, and I certainly hope, he will not be nearly as bad as he was last year. He says he figured out it was tipping of pitches. It better be. He can't be giving up five runs in the first inning every time out there. But I also don't, if we're being fair, think he's going to be the Cy Young candidate he was six years ago. And he doesn't have to be. I think, like we talked about earlier, average. Five, six innings, two, three runs, average. Because then if this lineup can take a step and this bullpen can be as good as I think it can be, 
then you're winning games that way. So to me, even with Manaya, it's just about being average. All right, let's listen to the voicemails. Voicemail number one, Hoff, hit it. We can't have nice things. It's just not possible. We haven't even played a spring training game yet, and we are already worried about our starting pitching. And then Kodai Singer gets hurt. It's just another thing. Like The message is cursed for life. They really are. And Evan and the P, I disagree with you. I don't think we need a DH, but you got to go sign a real pitcher. you got to sign another one. I don't want Blake Snell. Go sign Jordan Montgomery. Don't give me another starter. Get two more starters. I don't care. You need more pitching. Kodai Senga can't pitch on five days rest. And now he's hurt. And maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's something. Who knows? But he's hurt. And we haven't even played one game yet. You got to get more pitching. Go get Montgomery, please. <laughs> that we represents nice all things. of us. It's just not that, that represents all of us. We can't have nice things. We can't have nice things. He's already hurt. I'm not sure if he's hurt, but I think he's hurt. Nah, dude, I I understand. I feel the sentiment that we are sitting here days before spring training really starts with games, and we already have to refresh Twitter to get medical updates. But let us hope it's the worst of it because soreness can be nothing, but it can also be something. So I get it. I think that happens every time there's an injury. You look to the sky and you yell at the Met gods and say, why? Why does this continue to happen? Uh, I love Jordan Montgomery as a fit for this team. I have said that throughout this offseason. I do not get the impression that David Stearns is going to be reactionary to a potential injury like that. I don't. Like, if they didn't have interest in Montgomery based on the years and the dollars that he's asking for, I don't think that changes because of an injury. Now, maybe to us, we want that more and we push for it more, but knowing what we know about David Stearns, I don't think he's going to be reactionary like that. But I'll tell you this, you get Jordan Montgomery, I'll feel a lot better about this rotation. We all would. All right, voicemail numero dos. Rico Bronya. So as a loyal listener in this horrible traffic at the Lincoln Tunnel, Evan, I got to disagree with you. If the Mets sign a veteran DH, mm-hmm. it definitely takes that bats away from young players. There's no way they can bring in a J.D. Davis or uh, J.D. Martinez, rather, and it doesn't take our bats away from all the young guys. You know, we have this idea of what we want to see the young guys play. If you bring in a veteran that's getting paid $15, $20 million a year, he's going to take our bats away from Brett Beatty or Mark Vientos or let's hope a Jet Williams or somebody like that. It's just, it's inevitable. Yes, would it make us better for now? Sure. But that guy's not going to be here next year. And I don't want him. I'd rather see these kids play. All we ever heard about is how great Brett Beatty is. Let him get a chance to play. All we hear is Mark Vientos. He has got a great stick. Let him DH. We're not going to be that good this year anyway. And I'd rather see these kids play and maybe make us a good team rather than get a aging veteran in here to DH and take at bats away from the kids. But, Thank you guys for uh, always providing entertainment on this horrible commute through the Lincoln Tunnel. Thank you. Roger. (laughs) 
My apologies for the traffic through the Lincoln Tunnel. All right, let me try to explain my theory on why I disagree, and J.D. Martinez specifically. While, yeah, it takes at-bats away, doesn't take a significant amount of at-bats away. So let's walk through this. How many weeks are there in a baseball season? Let's all count it together. Opening days on Thursday, March 28th. So let's go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 14, 15, 17, 19, 20, 22, 24, 25, 27, 29. About 29 weeks in a baseball season. All right. J.D. Martinez has not played 150 games in a season since 2018. So right off the top, you know, J.D. Martinez plays a lot, but he doesn't play every day. Last year, he played 113 games. The year before that, he played 139 games. The year before that, he played about 148 games. So you're seeing this decline in the amount of games he's playing. If there's 29 weeks in a season, I can guarantee you one day a week, he's not playing. One day a week, he is not playing. So in a 162-game season, I've already cut out 30 games in which he is not playing. Those 30 games where he's not playing designated hitter, Mark Vientos is likely my DH. Now, Mark Vientos and Brett Beatty should push each other at third base. Don't we kind of all agree with that? Like a competition is a good thing. And so far early in spring training, they both are taking ground balls at third. They're both looking good at third. And it's already been floated out there that against tough lefties, Brett Beatty won't play. Mark Vientos will. So if Brett Beatty and Mark Vientos are pushing each other at third base to the point where, assuming they're both playing well, Beatty faces all the righties, Vientos faces all the lefties, you now have, not half the time, because you obviously face a lot more righties than lefties, you now have a handful of games where Mark Vientos is playing against left-handed pitching at third base. So I've got a box of games in which he's playing third base. I got another box of games, at least 30, in which he's DHing because I'm giving J.D. Martinez an off day. Now I've got, you want to say like a handful of games where Pete Alonso maybe gets a break, maybe gets a DH day, maybe doesn't play at all. Vientos is playing first base. Now the other thing I would do, just to get a little bit more creative with it, Last year, J.D. Martinez did play the outfield. He just didn't do it a lot. He played only three games in the outfield. Didn't do it a lot. A couple of years before that, played eight games in the outfield. Is it crazy when you've got so many good defenders to say, you know what, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, we're going to stick J.D. Martinez out in left field. No big deal. And then we'll get him out because we got Tyrone Taylor, because we got Harrison Bader, because we got Brandon Nemo. Between J.D. Martinez playing an outfield game, that's a day where Vientos DHs. Between the days where Vientos is playing third base, between the days where I'm just sitting J.D. Martinez because he's older, he's 36 years old, 37 in August, and between the days in which I'm sticking Vientos at first base, you guys don't think that gets you 400 plate appearances? That's a full season. That's playing a lot. Now, if your answer to me is, no, Evan, I need Mark Vientos playing 155 games. Okay, I don't necessarily think it has to be 155 games. I think what we want to see from Vientos is a fair opportunity. What I just laid out is a fair opportunity. So you get to do two things at once. You get to be better, which our last voicemailer agrees. Yes, J.D. makes us better, but he's only here for a year. 
He makes us better. And Vientos is still getting a chance to play, but you're not overly reliant on him playing 150 games. I don't think it's that difficult to add a bat. And this is, by the way, why I prefer Justin Turner, because he could play a position. J.D. Martinez, I have to talk ourselves into him playing a position because he only played five games in the outfield last year. And considering the Met outfield can be really good defensively and they've got good defenders on the bench, I don't mind sticking him out there once in a while. Not a lot, but once in a while. Then I get his ass out for defense. I think between those games I laid out, you can do both. And that's where I disagree with you. I disagree with our last voicemailer. And as of right now, I disagree with David Stearns because he hasn't made a move. They can add a DH and still maintain plenty of playing time for Mark Fientos. I I do agree, and the only way Vientos will not see over 400 at-bats is if he's really struggling. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. If you bring in a, in, a, in, a, in a professional veteran to play the DH or whatever else, just an extra bat, Vientos is going to have to play himself out of the lineup to really minimize what he could do. And remember, he has options. You know, Mark Vientos can be sent down to AAA. Let, let's keep this in mind. If Mark Vientos hits 145 in spring training, is he guaranteed a spot on the major league roster? Now, I've projected him to make the major league roster. I think most of us have. And David Stearns has stressed giving guys a chance to sink or swim. But you also have to earn it a little bit. And I think that Vientos can play plenty while also the Mets can employ a more reliable major league at-bat. And J.D. Martinez fits that. Are the Mets going to eventually sign him? Right now, my confidence level is low. It is not very high. All right, let's listen to one more voicemail. Go ahead. Rico, you're killing me. You're killing me. You made me in your part two of the off-seasons. Brought back a lot of bad memories because my <laughs> team of reference, I'm 27, pretty much started around when we got Pedro Martinez and me understanding what free agency is and, and how the moves affect the team moving forward. There was so much hope followed by hope and disappointment in the following seasons. And then once they got that new stadium, oh my God, what a terrible stretch. I don't know if the Mets and their experiences when I was in middle school and high school gave me lack of confidence or an abundance of confidence because I vividly remember when we lost Jose Reyes and I rationalized myself how Ruben Tejada is going to be an upgrade somehow. <laughs> um, or when they traded Angel Pagan, Andres Torres, that someone with such a winning resume from such a prestigious franchise as the Giants can inject some winning ways in the Mets like, oh, God, all so bad. Do you remember, it's funny thinking back to this, I remember listening when they made the trade for Syndergaard and Darno after they traded Dickey. Like, just weird things you remember where you are. I remember listening to Schmooze with my dad. We went to, like, Kohl's for, like, a, I don't even know, I think it might have been, like, a sort of present for some, maybe it was Valentine's Day or something for, like, my mom, but, oh, my God. What a, what a weird horrible experience most of those off seasons were thank you and 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 no thanks for bringing back all those memories but i think things are on the on the turnaround that's all i'm gonna say thank you rico <laughs> 
Well, I apologize for bringing back such bad memories. It's funny. He's telling the story about remembering where he was for the Syndergaard trade. You know what trade I oddly have like a vivid memory for? And it wasn't an off-season trade. It was during the season. I was living in Maryland back in like 02, 03, 04. I moved back to New York right after that. And I was at a mall called Arundel Mills Mall. It's in Maryland. It's near Baltimore. And I was with my ex-girlfriend at the time. And my dad calls me, calls my cell phone. And I pick it up, and my dad's like, yep, Mets made a trade. And at this point, the Mets sucked. Like, the season was going absolutely nowhere. And so my hope was, well, they, they must have sold guys off. They must have, you know, said, all right, let's get some prospects. And it was the Victor Zambrano trade and the Chris Benson trades. They made those two trades. And I remember being at a mall, being so upset. Like, what the F are we doing? That was my reaction. Like, what? We're not any good. We took our best prospect in Scott Casimir and we're flipping him for Victor Zambrano. Now, luckily, our last uh, caller is remembering a trade that, you know, he didn't express if he was upset about it at the time. Turned out to be a trade that, at the moment, I loved. And I think ultimately, you know, we discussed it briefly. It worked out. It may not have worked out as much as we thought it was going to work out as the Mets were in the World Series in 2015. But trading R.A. Dickey coming off of the Cy Young season was the smart move. So I don't know as if he was sitting at Cole's upset as a kid or he was like, yes, this is smart baseball. But keep this in mind about those offseason moves. If you haven't heard it, we did two parts going through the offseasons of the last 30 years. 2015, let that be kind of a reminder. That was not a great offseason going into 2015. The big move was Michael Kadire, which really didn't work. And ultimately, we won the pennant. So sometimes off-seasons and the hype of them don't indicate the success a team is going to have. So this is an off-season, and, and I'm sure some disagree with me. I'm underwhelmed about it. I wanted this team to do more. I still hope they can do more. There are still a couple of pieces out there that would change the complexion of this offseason, specifically Jordan Montgomery and J.D. Martinez. I don't expect any of it to happen, but nevertheless, the offseason, quote-unquote, can still change. But as underwhelming as the offseason is, that is not an indicator of team success. Keep that in mind. Subscribe, follow, and rate the Rico Bronia when you can. You could also leave us a voicemail at the phone number that I still haven't memorized. What is it again, Pete? <laughs> it's 725-222-8699. Hold on one second. I'm writing this down. 725-725-222-8699. So initially, this podcast had a theme, and I decided not to do the theme based on the injury to Kodai Senga. <laughs> So the theme of this podcast, and we'll do it eventually because I think it's really, really important whether Sanga's hurt or not, but certainly more important if Sanga's healthy, is we were going to do a deep dive on a six-man rotation and a deep dive on how members of this rotation pitch on regular rest versus an extra day of rest versus multiple extra days of rest because the Mets are probably going to employ a lot of that around Kodai Senga, who last year did not pitch very often on regular rest. So I pull, I pushed off the deep dive only because of the uncertainty, at least in the moment, around Kodai Senga. 
But once he's given a clear bill of health, which I hope happens in the next 48 hours, we'll eventually do a deep dive into six-man rotation, five-man rotation, and how you can implement it throughout a season. But in the meantime, you can email the pod if that's easier for you, thericob at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening and hopefully not cursing out, but enjoying Rico Baroni. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>